I, I know I've said this already today, but I love this church. Now I'm curious what you think I meant by that. Did you think I meant the building or the people? Yeah, I, I meant the people. But don't get me wrong. I, I do love this place. And, and the building is, is awesome. This property is amazing. And some of you have been here for a long time and you're aware of this. You know, this church started about 80 years ago in the middle of Kansas City. And then as it grew, it moved out of buildings. And then it was in Raytown for like 24 years. And then we've been on this property now for 20 years. Yeah, I love this building. It's, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. And, and it, we try to keep it beautiful. We try to maintain everything and clean everything and paint. And, and the property does look like a park. You know, a lot of people used to ask, well, what is that up there in the hill? Because we didn't have a big sign at the time. And, you know, they weren't sure what it was. Um, you know, the pond, it's just, it's just a beautiful place. It's gorgeous here. I love seeing God's creation right outside the, the windows, and we get to see that from time to time. I love this building, too, though. I don't, I don't want you to misunderstand. I love the lobby. I love that it's huge, and people can fellowship and spend time talking together. Not every church has that, and I love it. I love it. I love the inside here, how comfortable it is. I love these seats and chairs and if you haven't been here in person, it's a, it's a wonderful place. It's beautiful. I love the staging and the, the big screens and all of that. I love that. I love that, that we have an amazing kids area. If you've never been up to the kids church area, it's incredible. The youth group room is one of my, the best youth group rooms I've ever seen. And Pastor Jeremy and, and Kristen do a great job with that up there. And it is an amazing place. Some of you may not know. Did you know we have a gym? I love it. I love it. We use it for all sorts of things. We, you know, the prime timers meet in there. We, we do events in there, you know, wedding re- uh, receptions in there. We have, we have our own events. I mean, and we do even sports in there. <laughs> it's fun. The kitchen's amazing. You know, with Ironman, we have Ironman this week and we'll be cooking in there and all that's phenomenal. And as most of you know, we, we had a campaign to, to pay down the mortgage on this property and we've, we've, we've ended that. I mean, it was a campaign. We, we designed it to go for about a year and a half. And it's amazing. We talked about it last week. You know, you, you all have paid off about $400,000 in the last year and a half, which is remarkable. And the thing about it to me that's amazing is that we tipped that balance. It used to be we're paying half to mortgage, half to, uh, half to uh, principal, but now we've tipped that. So it's 60, 65% to mortgage and about 35% to print, or the other way around. Yeah, principal, 30, 65%, about 35% to interest. So that's phenomenal. We will pay this off. Just, just like you're paying off your own mortgage, you know, time after time. And I, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. And as we put that money to more ministry ideas, I think that's amazing. Buildings are important. Don't, don't get me wrong. I love the building. But it's not the church. The church exists far in, and above and beyond whether there's a building or not. And whether this building is here or not, this church is still the church. You realize they didn't even have buildings probably for the first, you know, two, three hundred years. Christianity was outlawed. It wasn't until Constantine became emperor in Rome and made Christianity not only legal, but he made it the, the state religion. But before that, it wasn't even legal for them to own property. It didn't even exist. Church didn't need buildings to exist. The church is a group of people. It's, it's actually... Wonderful, though. I mean, it's nice to have a place to meet, right? It's nice to have specialized 
places in the building like this for services that are designed perfectly for this. We have the sound system, we have the lights, we have the staging, the podium. I mean, all that's really nice to have. When you don't have it, it's, you can still have church. It's just not as easy. I mean, this is just easier to do it this way. I love it. The whole idea is this place is designed, I mean, the building itself serves the purpose of us getting together and equipping the saints for acts of service. So you guys come here, you worship God together, we give him glory. It's easy to do that in a building. Easier sometimes than maybe in a house or outside. I know I've, I've been leading worship, I've led worship in everything from mountains to beaches to parks. And this is easier, just saying. You don't have to deal with the wind and you don't have to deal with sand in your eyes or anything like that. You just, you just it's set up this way. And this is a great place for studying God's words together. Uh, we, we have specialized rooms for that and tables and chairs. and It's wonderful, right? Serves the community. We can collect Christmas boxes. I got the report from, from uh, our Christmas boxes. I appreciate so much Frank and Kitty Block and everything that they've done with that ministry. It's, it's incredible. I just want to read to you some of the things that he reported to me because it was just phenomenal how much was brought in. Let me just read this real quick. So he said that um, they, they filled an entire trailer. Get this. Now, we, we collected not only from Crown Point, but from the region, 1,468 shoeboxes. Isn't that amazing? Wow. So he, he, and then with the total, oh, no, that was, that was from right here. And then 4,500 shoeboxes in, in 300 different cartons. And those are going to go to kids all around the world. And what's awesome about that is a lot of countries will allow those shoeboxes in that may not even have missionaries. But that shoebox itself ends up becoming a missionary. And, and, and they hear the gospel story because of that. I love that our building can do that. Buildings are great. And they do that. It's a phenomenal place for that. So you're probably thinking, where's it going with all this? It's kind of crazy. Here's the thing. Wherever you are, the church is. Wherever that is. You are the church. And as you get together and you worship Jesus, you, all of you, but you are the church. And you're part of this church, whether you've been here the whole 80 years of this, this church or 80 minutes, you're part of this church. Together at this location, 5950 Northeast Lakewood Way, Lee Summit, Missouri, we are the expression of the body of Christ here. Now, there are expressions of the body of Christ all around this area, all around the world, meeting today on Sunday. And we're all doing that together. So you may be thinking, okay, what is he talking about here? You become the hands and feet of Jesus. It was his plan to do this. Now, for some of you, this, you're like, oh, yeah, I've heard this before. I get this. Some of you may be new. You may not have realized that, that this was God's plan to have a group of people meet and continue his work. But it was his plan. So my question to you today, the question I want you to grapple with for a moment is, if this was Jesus' idea, and his idea was to have a church, a group of people, to spread out into the world and to spread the message, how are we doing with that? How are we doing? How do you measure that? What's, what's the metric? And I want you to do this metric. I want you to measure it in a couple different ways. I want you to measure it not only as our church, the church at large, all Christians, but then you. Because you are the church. I think sometimes it's easy to think it's someone else doing it or we think of it in kind of a third person and it's the church. 
But then we forget that we are the church. You have a part in this. You, you actually contribute to making the church the church. I think there's times where I hear things about the church, and, and if it's negative, I, I, I kind of feel a little bit defensive because the church is us, me. And maybe that's more so because I, I literally work at the church. You know, I'm here all the time. I get that. But it's more than that. I feel personal about it because I'm invested in this because Jesus has made us the church. You are the church too. When the church hurts, I hurt. Whether it's a local congregation or ministry or the church around, it it affects all of us because we're all part of the church and we're all responsible for the church. And if the church is being successful by whatever metric you measure that, it's all part of us. We're all part of making that happen. So when I hear good things, I'm excited for the church. So I wonder, though, and I want you to grapple with this, what are you doing to accomplish the mission of the church? So probably you're thinking, well, what's the me- mission? What's the measure? You know, it's funny. As, as a church, you know, some, some people measure it by money. Like how much money the church is taking in or how, much, how big the budget is or how many missionaries we support and how much. And those are important things. Don't, don't get me wrong. Those are very important things. The church has a budget just like your home budget and we, we manage that money and we, we have a board that helps manage it and we try really hard to manage it correctly because we feel like it's your money that God has entrusted to us and as the church, we want to do the right things with that. We support, as a church, we support over 100 missionaries, 110, I think it is right now. And not all of them get the same amount of money, but some of them, it's 25 a month, some 50, some actually 100. A few get 100 a month. And because you've contributed to that, we send that to them, and then they do the work. And I know it's, it's like three steps away from you, so it doesn't always feel like maybe the work is, you don't, you don't touch it, you don't tangibly touch it. But that's why we have missionaries come in every month for you to hear what they're doing. And a lot of times the missionaries we bring in are ones who are just now getting started. But still, I talked, I talked, I, he sent me a message on Facebook. I feel like I talked to him, but I was communicating with a missionary, a relatively new missionary. They're just completing their first term. And he was actually here and he'll be here again. He was just saying, hey, we're coming back. I'd love to come and report to you what we did, you know, the last four years we were gone. And I want him to come and do that because that helps us understand and feel and touch and feel the touch of like we contributed to them going and now he's telling us what they did. That's important. Really important for us as Christians. We didn't actually talk. This person is in Africa. We didn't actually talk to the Africans he talked to, but he did. And he was able to do that because we gave. That's how it works. So yes, it matters. Something else that might matter to you is you think about attendance and, and being here. And obviously today, when I wrote this sermon, it wasn't snowing. <laughs> wasn't thinking about how many people might be watching online. But all of this goes together. You are part of this church. And when you're here, you're, you're more part of it. Now, some of us got together with family for Thanksgiving. Anybody else get to do that for Thanksgiving? I love that we get to do that. And there's family members that I haven't seen for quite a while. Some of them since COVID, honestly. And it was so wonderful to reconnect and to hear stories and to talk about what's going on in life and catch up on their kids and catch up on family and what they're doing. And I thought there, I sat there and I thought about, 
you know, what, what the, the warmth and what I'm feeling being with family again after so long is what I feel with you every Sunday. Because it's a reconnection. It's, it's a time where we're together again. And whether we end up sharing family stories or whatever, it's, it matters. For you to be here ma- matters. You, you come and you're challenged or corrected and you learn and there's accountability and there's power in worshiping together and we care for one another and there's relationships that are built that transcend a lot of times our own earthly families. I find and I feel like I'm connected. I mentioned, you know, Desiree not doing well and, you know, her father, uh, Dave Chancellor, passed away three, four years ago. I can't remember now. But that, it, it was family. And then when she ended up getting cancer, um, it was family. I mean, she's not my family, but she is. We pray for her because we care about her. It's a place where you're, no, you're known and you know people. You know, another metric, and the metric I want to emphasize today, though, goes back to Jesus himself, how you measure the church and its mission. It's because Jesus started all this. It was his idea. It's funny, you know, there's people who, critics, you know, they'll say, Jesus didn't intend to start a church. I'm like, well, he kind of said he did, so I'm going to trust what he said. I mean, you, you say what you want 2,000 years later, but Jesus said the word church. Here's how it works. Jesus pulled his disciples together, and they'd already been in ministry for a long time. He'd already done some very amazing things. They already knew that he was the Messiah. They were trying to figure it out. And I've said this a lot, and I think it's important for us to remind ourselves often that we have the benefit of being 2,000 years later, reading the whole New Testament. We see everything. They were right in the middle of it. And the eyewitnesses' accounts that we have are very raw, very honest about the failings of the disciples, the fact that they didn't understand it all. So Jesus pulls them together. Now, he'd already done some amazing, amazing miracles at this point. He'd already fed 5,000. He'd already healed a lot of people. They'd seen all these miracles. And so there was a lot of buzz going on about who this Jesus was. Something you, you may not realize is that there were other people in Jesus' time and before him who claimed to be the Messiah. You may not have thought known that, but it's true. There were people who claimed to be the Messiah. It's just they weren't, and they didn't measure up, and they didn't do miracles. And part of the things, one of the things that were the signs for the true Messiah is some of the specific miracles that Jesus would do. And what he did, you know, healing a man born blind. They didn't think anybody could do that except the Messiah. He did it. He did a lot of these things that were, people thought, wait a minute, he's the guy, he's the guy. And they start talking about it, and they didn't understand what it would be. So Jesus takes his, his followers, and he, he does something interesting. He takes them to a place called Caesarea Philippi. So those of you who are into, into words and what words mean, if you think about it, what does Caesarea mean? Caesars. He's naming stuff after himself, right? You see how that works? Like we might do that for our kids. I don't know how many of us name our main places after ourselves. but So this was after Philip, the Caesar Philip. So he named this place after himself. It was a non-Jewish area. It was the headwaters of the Jordan River, and he took him to a place where there wouldn't have been a lot of Jews and certainly not Galileans. He took him there, and I think he did it because he wanted them outside of where all the buzz was, and he wanted to talk to them specifically. Kind of like we're doing today. We've, we've come out from among other people, and it's just us in this room, or if you're listening online. 
And a little spoiler alert, the area he took them to was actually a very pagan area. It's it's an area that um, it had a reputation. It was the Grotto of Pan. And you're probably familiar with Pan from Greek mythology, the little half goat, right, half human guy, played the little flute. What you may not know is that particular god was a very lascivious god. It was very, very associated with sexual immorality. It was not a great place. And there was a, the headwaters. The headwaters came out of the ground like a spring. And where they came out, they thought that that's, that's where he was and he was somehow providing that water. And that area, that specific area, ended up having a bunch of little... Uh, niches and niches and um, little, little, kind of little minor like temples for other gods. I want to show you what it would have looked like in Jesus' time. Now, this this is an aerial uh, reconstruction that that little building on the or big building on the left would have been the pan of, the grotto of Pan, and then you can see some of the water that's flowing out. So that it flows out right there. It's a spring. Let's look at it. What it looks like today. <clears throat> looks like that today. Um, I would have loved to have shown you my pictures, but I didn't have a, I didn't have a drone to take a picture like this. But uh, let's show the next picture. This is what's left of some of the other little niches. And then that final picture you can show. This is, it shows, you can see back in the back, you can see how the people are standing in that little area and you can see the water's flowing out. It's a gorgeous area. And it, it looks like that today. That, that's a picture. I didn't take that picture, but I have one exactly like that. It looks just like that today. So that's where they were. They probably weren't up in the pan area. They're probably down in this area where um, all these, these waters are flowing. Beautiful little area. Jesus gets them out away from everybody and he asks them, what are people saying about me? So let's look right to, the, to Matthew's eyewitness account. It says right here, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, the reason they said those names is because they had already recognized that John the Baptist was a prophet, and he had already been killed by Herod at this point. So some people were just confused. Who is this guy teaching a new thing? And then the other, the other ones, Elijah and Jeremiah, make sense because those would have been messianic prophets and, and had prophecies that were messianic. Elijah, of course, performed a lot of miracles, some of the very same miracles that Jesus was doing, raising people from the dead. Remember, he was fed by a raven. He did, there were some interesting things about him. You know, people say things about Jesus today, right? Does that offend you as Jesus' church? Because there's some things they doubt who he is, or they say things, he would have done this, or he would have done that. Again, let me caution you. Always go back to Scripture and see what Jesus actually did do and what he would have done. So Jesus asks them this powerful question. And it's really the question that every single human needs to answer. I was talking to somebody a couple weeks ago, and um, not a believer. And uh, they were telling me their belief system. And I just, I just felt, I felt like this was the time to ask this question. I said, are you sure? And they're like, well, how can anybody be sure? I said, well, that's a good question, except for just so you understand, your eternal destiny rides on this question. Are you sure? It really matters. 
everything matters. That's, I, 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 I know it was kind of a heavy point turn in the, in the conversation, but the person, they're like, wow, it is important, isn't it? I'm like, yeah, everything matters. Everything hangs on this. Who do you say I am? Jesus asked them, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answers, true to, true to form. He's the one who speaks up and answers first. He says, but you are the Messiah the son of the living God. Now, I don't know that Peter fully understood everything he was saying in that moment. Chances are he didn't quite understand all of it. And we know he didn't understand all of it because, <laughs> you know, he denied Christ at the tomb and, he, and then he wasn't at the tomb waiting for Christ to re, re, return from the dead, raised from the dead. But regardless, what he said is true. You are the Messiah. And if you're not familiar with that term, Messiah, uh, this, is, this is Hebrew, Messiah, where in the Greek it would have been Christ, same word, it would have been the chosen one, the one that they were looking for. And then he says, the son of the living God. Jesus replies, he says, blessed Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you're Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. There it is, church. I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, I, we've talked about this in years past, but it's been a while. I want you to understand what Jesus did right here. He uses the word church three times in the New Testament. This is one of them. That word church in, in Greek is ekklesia. It wasn't actually a religious word at that point in history. What it meant was any group of people who are gathered together for a purpose. It was most often used in a political sense or in like a guild, like if you were pulled together, like what we think of unions today, if they were pulled together for a specific purpose, maybe to, to, to group together, like if you're gonna group together all the bakers, that type of thing. But it was most often a political term. People who are grouped together. Our, our actual term, the, the, the name of our denomination, assemblies of God, comes from that word. Assembly is ecclesia. In, in the Greek, you could have translated this. He goes, I call, uh, he said, I will build my assembly. He could have used that term. He could have, he could have termed, he could have used a lot of terms, but he, it's translated church today. But regardless, it means an assembly, a gathering of people who are true to the one purpose. I want you to notice some things that he says here. He says, I'm gonna establish a gathered community for my purposes. I'm going to do that. Christ church is, is really, if we term it a different way, this group of people were pulled together under the name of Christ to accomplish his purpose. It's not about us. It's about his purpose. So what I want to do is go back to that original question. Are we doing that? And by we, I mean you. Now we, of course, is this church, Crown Point Church, all churches, all Christians, I mean, we can't be responsible for everything every church does, but we can be responsible for what Crown Point does, and more specifically, what you do and how you are part of this. The church. It's Christ's people. What did he say they would do? They would overcome the gates of hell? Now it makes more sense, right? Because I showed you the pictures of what he was talking about. What I love to do is just kind of envision Jesus talking about this. As he was saying that, I will build my church 
And what he probably did is said, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. He just pointed back to where all those temples were. And the disciples would have been like, oh, wow. Now, it's interesting. People have debated this forever. What does that mean? Do the gates move? Have you ever heard this before? And he said that the church will not be overcome by the gates of hell. Did he mean that the gates weren't going to overtake the church or the church was going to overtake the gates? I think the answer is yes. Are Christ's people under attack today? Yes. Are they attack, under attack here in the U.S.? Yes. Are they attack, under attack in the world? Yes. Always has been. There's only a few places really in the world in all of history where the church hasn't been under attack. And really what happens is when the church isn't under attack, it gets soft. Right? You realize that, Right? There aren't church buildings in China, but the church is strong in China. Why? Because it isn't about the building. It's about the people. It's about the people who are gathered together with one purpose, and that is to accomplish Christ's purposes. That's how it works. Should be no surprise. Jesus said in in John 10.10, he's quoted as saying, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes as a thief. To kill, steal, and destroy. But, but my purpose, Jesus' purpose, is to give you a rich and a satisfying life. Are we under attack? Well, yeah. Duh. It's, that's how it is. That's how the world is supposed to be. And I know, like, probably like you, like me, I mean, there's times where I'm like, is it supposed to be like this? Well, maybe not supposed to, but it is. And we weren't, it's not a surprise. The attacks come with family, with it, it, your, your life's under attack, your happiness, your joy, your kids, your, your parents, all that is good and holy is under attack. And that's kind of how it's supposed to be. But we are promised this rich and satisfying life, and I want you to see that that rich and satisfying life is found in the purpose. Now, Jesus, in, in the book of Matthew, we saw that, we just read that in Matthew 16, just a few 12 chapters later, Jesus has been crucified paid for our sins, he's risen from the dead, and he reconvenes his disciples, and he gives them the purpose. And we look at it as what's called the Great Commission, but in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says this. He came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority on heaven and earth, therefore, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. All nations, spread the good news. Is it too much? So if we measure that again, how are we doing? Maybe you don't know this, and because we hear, you know, if, if all you, the only news you get is from the media, the, the regular media, you, you probably think the church is failing everywhere. It's not true. Not true. Did you know the church is growing more now than ever? You know what churches are growing? Just in case you're wondering. Uh, in America, the evangelical Pentecostal churches like ours are the ones growing. Other churches may not be growing, but these are. And then overseas, the church right now is growing exponentially in South America, in parts of Africa, in Asia, growing like crazy. (laughs) Why is that? 
Because it's his church. It's his church. I want to I want to just close this with going back to what Jesus said. He said, I will build my church. The question is, and the metric I was asking you to, to consider is, how are you doing in the church? Because he's going to build his church. That's going to happen. There's no question about that. He is going to build his church. The first thing I want to really emphasize with you is this, is, is the I part. It's Christ's church. Not my church. Not anyone's church. It's Jesus' church. He will build his church. I, I, I actually find, find joy in that, knowing that it's his church. And our, the question is, are we going to be part of what he's doing? That's the major question. I want to be part of what he is doing because it's his church and he is going to build his church. He says, I will. It's Christ's purpose. And whether you think this or not or even get this, he will accomplish his purpose. He is going to do that. I I want, you know, as, as far as the way I look at it is, I want to attach myself to him because I know that he's going through. I know that he's going to make it. And I want to be part of what he is doing. And he says, I will build my church. His purpose is clear. Now his purpose is to love God and love others. And we will do that. And I want to be part of that. Did, did you know that Jesus actually told us at one point to pray for his purposes to happen? You might not have thought about this, but as part of the Lord's Prayer in, in Matthew 6, 9, he says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are supposed to be praying for God's purposes to be done. And when Jesus says, I will build my church, we need to be praying that. What, I, what that looks like is this. It's like, Lord God, I know that you have, your, your goal is to redeem this world. Your goal is to work on this. God, I want to be part of that. I want to see people redeemed. You don't have to worry about praying God's will for that. You know that's what it is. Pray for that. So he says, I will build my church. It's Christ's work. But he does his work through us. Now, here's, here's the metric again. And I want you to think about this for a second. It would be nice, wouldn't it, to just say, yes, God, do your thing. Right? With nothing from us. That's not the plan. I, I've said this before. I, and I think often I wonder, like, God, wouldn't it have been better if Jesus just hung around and finished the work himself? I mean, really? Because who better than him? And that's not the point. The point is, God didn't create us just to show off in front of us. He created us to do this work in and through us and with us. That's how he intended for it to be. He trained the 12, the 12 original followers, and then their job is to spread it out, and we are now the inheritors of that. that those are our long, in, in Christ, our forefathers years and years back, and now we are the church. And our job is now to accomplish Christ's mission in the world, and you are part of it. So my question again is, how are you doing with that? What are you doing with this? Paul said it this way to the Ephesian church. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You are part of it. He's doing the work, but he does it through and in us. He uses you. 
Now, I heard about this, and I, I keep researching. I want to see testimonies, but I, I kept reading that, that 400 uh, Hamas uh, people in, in, um, in Gaza had seen visions of Christ on the same day. Have you heard this? I keep researching. I want to see verification. I want to see those people, you know, and, and God does that. Awesome. That's not usually how he works, though, right? I've never seen him. Not like that. But I know what he does. What he normally does is he works through and in each one of you. He uses you and you become Christ to the people around you, whether that's your family, the people you work with, the people you run into. I believe God does this too. There's so many times. This happened to me this last week. Uh, this guy at, the, at Quick Trip, right, right down the hill from the church here. Um, he was trying to start his car, it wouldn't start. And, um, and I don't know, I just prayed. I thought, God, is this an opportunity for like and God's like yeah go talk to that man you know so we spent about 10 minutes talking I jumped it, it was just he just needed jumped but <clears throat> it's us it's us doing the ministry that's how it works he says I will build my church this is what I want to close with it's his church we're part of it but it's his church the way it works, we're all part of the church, the literal body of Christ. We become his hands and feet. Paul wrote this to the church in Corinthians chapter 12. He says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we have all been baptized into one spirit and we all share the same spirit. We're all part of it. We're all part of it. I want you to shut your eyes for just a second. I want you to think about this with me for a minute. This really isn't a call for you to volunteer. Of course, the church runs on volunteers. And maybe God is calling you to that, but that's not my intention today. And quite honestly, we, we always need volunteers. That's not really the intention today. I want to be very specific about this. You may not have thought about this before, but we are the body of Christ. We are God's church, his assembly of followers here. He's called you to a work. And I'm not talking about full-time ministry necessarily, although he might be calling you to that. Don't, don't ever rule out God because he can do what he wants and use who he wants. You may be thinking, well, I'm not the right person. I don't, I don't have all this education and I don't know what to say. You know what? He uses people, normal people. Even if you were to look at the actual followers, his disciples, none of them were trained. Not one. Not one. That's not the criteria. What he uses is people who are part of his body. And the fact is, there are people that you interact with every day that, are, that would never come in contact with one of us who are full-time pastors because he doesn't do it that way. He does it through each and every one of you. You have family members. You were around probably some this weekend that you weren't around on a daily basis. You have the opportunity. It's you. The people you work with, the people you interact with every single day. Your own family. That's how God works. You 
are the church. So my question to you today is, how's that going and how are you doing with that? So I just want to ask, anybody feel like they need some help doing that? That maybe they haven't been living up to it, but they want to? There's a lot of hands up. I appreciate that. I didn't even ask you to raise your hands yet. But if that's you, raise your hand and I want to pray with you. I want to pray that God would use you in a way that is even beyond your expectation. And here's, here's what I want you to hear today. It's his church. He does the work. You, you are his hands and feet, but it's not as if you have to make it up or, or fake it or, or do more than you're called to do. He's going to use you as you. That's what he does. And then he prepares you for the work because it's his church. I don't want you to feel the pressure that like, oh, things are going apart and I can't fix it. No, you are the church. He's going to use you as you. That's what he does because he is going to build his church. I have one last question for you today. And it's an important question. And this sermon really wasn't about necessarily about people giving their lives to Christ for the first time. But I never want to miss an opportunity <clears throat> maybe you're here today and you, you haven't been walking with Jesus. You haven't been part of his church, the group assembled to accomplish his purposes. Maybe for you, this is the first time you've considered it or maybe you've considered it multiple times, but today you realize, I need to give my life to Jesus. I'm gonna just break this down real simple. Every single one of us have made mistakes. We've done things that are wrong, separated ourselves from God. But God in his grace and mercy sent his son Jesus who sacrificed his life and paid the price for our sin. And all we have to do is acknowledge that, ask him for forgiveness, tell him we wanna follow him and you are now part of this body. Anybody here wanna do that today? If you just raise your hand, I'll pray with you. Anybody at all? Give you a moment. you would be doing something that everybody else in this room has already done. And we'd be so excited to welcome you into this family. Anybody at all. All right, let me pray with us. Would you stand? <clears throat> I know we still have some of our, our prayer folks here today. And we would, we would love to pray for you at the end of the service. But I wanna, I wanna dismiss and pray for, for those of you here today. And I wanna challenge you as you step out into this mission to be encouraged knowing that Christ, it will build his church and he's gonna use you to do it. He will empower you and enable you to do that. So I wanna encourage you and challenge you to find somebody to share Jesus with today in building the church. God bless these people, I pray. I pray as they head out into this world, whether it's to, to family, whether it's to work, whether it's whatever it is, I just pray that you would, you would especially guide them and remind them that you are using them to build their church, to your church today. And I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you're dismissed. If you need prayer for anything, I'll be down here at the front. I'd be happy to pray with you.